listening to the Thundercling Podcast. <laughs> Just rippling abs. How are we going to get fucking sponsored by these guys if we can't even get the name right? Did you say you're doing wrestling moves? Oh god, I'm bleeding. Jason Kalen's walking around on stilts. It's fucked up. <laughs> I'm Feedy. I am Dave. And this is the Thundercling Podcast. Podcast. A lot of eye contact. We, that's our sixth, this is our sixth try for this intro. Yeah. So far, because we're professionals, I like to think. I'm going to go ahead and blame Jetlag. Oh, yeah. Well, dude, as many struggles we've had, that was a very professional segue. Just fucking Howard Cosell style. Um, Feedy, you have returned to America from your great adventure. That's right. Can you tell us us how beautiful and wonderful the Greek island of Kalimnos is? How magical it is? You guys, I, 10 out of 10, would recommend Ultimate Climber vacation destination you rent these cute little mopeds you ride around this island there's beaches everywhere the rock climbing is unbelievable you sometimes when you're in the middle of nowhere stretch like a weird motorcycle gang like surrounds you and it costs you but wait wait a second a scooter gang or a motorcycle (laughs) gang no there was okay this is the one this was the besides the the people doing heroin in athens but that's no big deal that's no big deal they do it outside my house in denver we're driving around the island of Kalimnos on our little scooters and this big gang of guys on motorcycles and scooters here and there. They were, they were coexisting in a a pod. I mean, there was obviously like a pecking order, like the mopeds were, there's like two people, there's like two people on the little scooters, one guy on like a big bike. He was, he had a shirt that said King. Oh shit. He's a big boss. He was the big boss. And, uh, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we at first it was funny. We we're like, "Oh, motorcycle gang, yeah!" And then, then they started doing weird things, like be like revving their engines really close to us on our little motorcycle mopeds, and then like forming a line in front of us and behind us. <laughs> and I was like, oh, "Cool, I think we're we're getting escorted I think, to I the think climbing we might area. Be getting jumped now." <laughs> That's like the beginning of a 1980s John Carpenter horror movie. Yeah, if I I was having a great time until it got weird, weird vibes, man. And then they like sort of threw a water bottle at me. They threw something at you. It was weird. That's fucking dangerous. The two of the mopeders, the lesser scooters, the lesser cycles, passed me on both sides. The scooters. Yeah. So they flanked you. They flanked me, and then. They were like, it was almost like they were purposefully having this weird mock conversation in front of me. And one of them casually was like waving a bottle around and it, he dropped it in front of like, obviously like he meant to drop it. Right. But he was acting like it was, he was like, had this look of like, oops, I was like, okay, (laughs) I don't understand what's happening. Like you guys, was he trying to wreck you? No, but they were, they were definitely like. Looking for, looking for, for a skirmish, dude. Something, yeah. It was weird, and then they just kept slowing down in front of us, and it was awkward because it's like, cool. Um, I guess I'll slow down too because I'm. I have to. I, have I don't want to wanna die. I, I don't want to like pass you so that you can. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> wow, fuck, man, that's yeah. pretty exciting. That's some serious yeah. expat drama mm-hmm. right there. So the cycle gangs, uncle. <laughs> so if you go to Klimnos, watch uh, out for the motorcycle gangs. Other than that, though, uh. 
unbelievable time. Enough of me, dude. I heard that you had an interesting two weeks. Feedy, <laughs> dear listeners, I'm going to fucking bum you out right now. So you left. Yeah. We were on the shore wishing you bon voyage, Feedy. Mm-hmm. Have a great trip. And uh, the moment you left, yeah. my world fucking crumbled into rubble it's it's hard it's hard for people to, to let me go man to lose their significant yeah. other mm-hmm. um yeah it was rough that was uh maybe the roughest two weeks i've had in like three years so um the saturday that you left i think you left on saturday or friday yeah i had the opportunity to MC uh the long tucky showdown yeah um Stressful. which was a comp here in colorado and that was really cool. It was my first time emceeing a comp. I was pretty excited. Um, it was quite stressful, <laughs> to tell you the truth. Well, knowing you and how you love to be prepared and know what's coming. I'm an over-preparer. Seems like this comp was maybe a little bit more just go with the flow. It was kind of laissez-faire. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is fine. It all it all went great. It was super uh, – it was an experience that could be seen as fun. But it also could not has been seen for fun. Just in my mind, all the competitors had a great time. The yeah, parents. Dave the, was having an existential crisis at the. It was tough. If I'm yeah. not over prepared, I'm not prepared. The thing about that comp yeah. is there like it's before the big comp start. It starts. It's youth regionals. Yeah. So there are like hundreds of kids like climbing everywhere, and I love kids. It was great. Um, <laughs> but I woke up the next morning just fucking sick as a dog. So one of those little slime balls probably yeah. sneezed on me. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happened, but I got sick and I'm still sick two weeks later. Damn, dude. More than two weeks later. But we're it's okay. Yeah, and I battled a coyote. Yeah. My dog got in a fight with a <laughs> fucking wolf-sized coyote. That was terrifying. Your, your downstairs neighbors poisoned you and you had to live in your van. For- the downstairs neighbors refinished their wood floors without telling us and put polyurethane sealer all over everything. Now, mm-hmm. for those of you who don't know, that is a nauseous fume. Yes, definitely. And quite, quite awful. Of course, it's winter, so all the windows were closed. So it came straight up the vents and the walls. Mm-hmm. And Lynn and I, at 2 o'clock in the morning, had to thank God we have a built-out van. We ran into the van. And just for you to know, this is her fucking birthday. We have to evacuate the house because nobody told us this was happening. And we go in the van. And we had to spend a week, five days with friends because the house was unlivable. That's honestly sucks. Um, You know, some people, you know... The world has to be balanced, Dave. When someone's having a really good time, you know, climbing on a beach. Yeah, others have to suffer. Someone has to suffer. And I'm glad that I could be that person. Thank you for, for being you. my co- <laughs> and my foil for that. Um, I am the gang to your joyous yin. Thank you. I'm the shit heaped mm-hmm. the pile pile of yang yeah. pain and suffering. While you're. I'm- <laughs> Being like, hey, let's do yoga on the beach, guys. I need to do a little Instagram. More wine. <laughs> More wine. Um, so, yeah, it was a uh, interesting two weeks, dude. Well, we're back now. But we're back. It's Life's fucking over, man. My schedule. life has, it's it's like the sun has risen mm-hmm. since you've been back. Wow. That's beautiful. Thank you, man. <laughs> Thank you for coming back and Fucking stopping I was like, all right, Murphy's I think Law from destroying I, I my on, life. I was like, you know what, guys? I'm having a really good time. I 
I think Dave's had enough, so I'm going <laughs> to... Because we have to be near each other for us to both be happy, so... That's right. Uh, the happiness is back, and I, I feel uh, jovial. Jovial. But... Cool. Let's maybe we should talk about up. our guest. I'm psyched. For the week, because it's part jovial and part, like, deadly serious. It's also, like, lucky and unlucky the epitome of, yes. of that <laughs> yeah so we had um our guest for this week was minko Nink- nikoloff Correct. can you uh tell us a little bit about minko's backstory um minko is so, those of you in colorado by the way no you probably know minko i'm just gonna start off by saying minko is a colorado climber who was fucking struck by lightning okay a few like a month ago now around a month ago about two months ago about two months august ago. 17th and to talk a little bit about minko uh he's a from bulgaria and he's one of the he's like if you ever go to a gym and you start climbing around you always can kind of like scope people you know or you kind of yeah. get vibes from people minko is the guy that you see that you're like that person is a monster of just so strong yes like, Anyone you talk to who knows Minko is like Minko is the strongest human being I've ever seen in my life. Yes, uh, for very good reason. He is. He just climbs every. He, he makes everything look easy. So he's kind of. He has a dozen abs, <laughs> as well. A fucking baker's dozen. He has probably. a cheese grater for abs. He literally never wears a shirt. Yeah, and I wouldn't either. Honestly, yes. Yeah. Are correct. you kidding me? Yeah, it'd be a shame to cover that up. No, you can't. Anyway, yeah. sorry, I got <laughs> sidetracked right there, but that's how you, you know, Minko. He's just uh, like burning off all the climbers at the crag or at the gym, and he's not a pro. He's like, Feely, go. <laughs> <laughs> let's give it a kid. Burn uh, it, man. Come on, let's do it. Let's hear it. Let's hear your Bulgarian accent. I can't do it. <laughs> You're a kind of Feely. <laughs> but he, he'd be like, hey, man, why are you uh why are you using your feet on that dude let's just campus it (laughs) let's just you do let's just climb your project with one arm like why not fuck it why are you yeah why are you so why are you doing it with all those appendages what do you mean you can't do pinky front levers that's like which he's done which yes (laughs) jesus okay so so we've established that minko was from bulgaria originally came to the united states for school Mm -hmm. um during this conversation the first half of the conversation he has some awesome interesting curious nuggets about the comp scene and the gym scene specifically mm-hmm. over in europe it's so it's 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 different. so different yeah from the early 2000s too when yeah. uh comp climbing in america was it's totally t- dormant and then yeah like we said on august 17th minko was an rmnp and he was struck by lightning like four inches away from it hitting the crown of his head yes it hit his shoulder and miraculously avoided his vital organs and came out his legs so simultaneously extremely unlucky and then also extremely lucky that you know he is alive is he he, period period yeah the crazy thing the crazy thing about this story guys is that minko was fucking alone on the trail it was the weather was coming in he got thwarted from climbing an upper upper chaos so he's hiking down and the weather came in and there was exactly one lightning strike mm-hmm. that, that entire day. storm. He was below tree line mm-hmm. and it fucking whapped him. But the crazy thing is, is there was a hiker right after who walked up upon him. And in a crazy circumstance, 
he was standing in a pocket of cell service. Yes. I have never gotten cell service in RMNP. This is just a kind of story you don't get to hear very often. And nope. we felt grateful not only that <laughs> Minko pulled out of yeah. it with such a good attitude, yeah. but also that he you know, decided to sit down with us and tell the story in yeah. really, really great depth. So just FYI for you guys, uh, the first half is kind of about Minko's history from Bulgaria yeah. to the United States. If you're really eager to listen to... Um, the story. The story about him getting struck by lightning. That starts a little bit more than halfway through. <clears throat> so if you want to listen to it, just go ahead and listen to it. Listen to the rest later. But it's really good. Should we talk about one more thing? The song, dude. The music video. <laughs> That's right. So we talked about how Dave had worked very hard on a kind of animated music video for his song he wrote. Jaman. And uh, The Climbing Train. And <laughs> the reviews. <laughs> the reviews are right. in. <laughs> Matt Samet says it's one of the best pieces of climbing media ever. Cedar Wright. Cedar Wright. Man, the guy that you have challenged Correct. to uh, bare-chested gravel, gravel pit, pit wrestling, wrestling match. match. He said it was one of the top 40 climbing trees of the year. <laughs> Fucking just took a swing below the belt there. <laughs> um. But yeah, if you guys are curious to see it, it's still it's on YouTube. It's on our page. If you haven't seen it yet, please check, check it, out. it out. Share it's it funny. if you want to. It's pretty stupid, bizarre. It's kind of like this podcast. And with that, with that, we take you to Minko, the Bulgarian Adieu. crusher who fucking survived a lightning, a lightning strike. strike. Give me a break. That's crazy. Let's do it. Down in the city with the wind patterns change Blowing around the buildings all tall and strange I really want to know about climbing in Bulgaria and getting started climbing there. I mean, I started in May of 2001. Really? Holy shit, you've been climbing a long time. So 18 years. Yeah. And I mean, this is one thing that I, I feel like is I always hear and like kind of regurgitate to other people, but... Is it true that in Europe, like climbing is just a lot more popular and common of a thing than to hear? Mm, I don't know. I think right now in Colorado, it's hard to tell that yes, there's, Col- Col- there's <laughs> another popular place. But um, I think climbing, it's really popular in America right now. When yeah. I started in 2001, I don't think climbing was that popular at all. Yeah. Well, yeah, in the in, in the world or... Bulgaria. I I think just in general. Just in general. The infrastructure wasn't there, but where I started, there was a really good level of climbing. Mm -hmm. People were really excited about training. Um, The facility was there. The history was behind it. So it was a really good spot to start climbing. I mean, some of the climbs that were bolted 15 minutes walking from my house on rocks were bolted in the 60s and the 70s. Wow. That's amazing. So to me, it was really cool to start climbing there and realizing how cool it was, was a little afterwards, after I came to America. How old were you at the time? Uh, 13, I think. And how did you discover it? Like, how does a 13-year-old stumble on climbing? So it's pretty embarrassing, but the gym was (laughs) five minutes or less than 10 minutes walking from where I grew up, like where my parents' house was. But... I grew up with a huge Belgium Shepherd dog, so it was really easy just 
to go where the rock climbing area was and just going there with my friend was um a kind of the place to go you let the go out you let the dog out yeah. and the dog is running around and we start climbing so we yeah. we start climbing probably five or six months prior to me starting start climbing at the gym so when i say i start climbing i define like when i went to the gym and when yeah, i but start but but i start free soloing first <laughs> <laughs> holy shit so dude. alex Honnold is <laughs> a little behind that 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 <laughs> when when i was free soloing that boy was not doing anything i started right. free soloing so th so that's what we start doing but no that's how we started we'll go and do like the easiest climbs which were probably like five five or really that with shoe with no climbing shoes no chuck nothing just go up it crazy conditions too. <laughs> um yeah i mean some people took damage i had a friend who broke both of his arms oh my god um but so that's how i start climbing uh i start climbing going outside with the dog and my friends and it was super fun and me and one one of my other friends we start traversing and he hit a chalk bag and one day a guy saw us and he was like what are you guys doing like uh -huh. you shouldn't be doing that you what? should go to the gym yeah and we we're like well that's only 10 minutes from my house why don't we go <laughs> so when i showed up to the gym i still remember that um there were not that many climbers that were climbing very easy but there were a lot of people that were climbing 513 514 so there were a bunch of psych people that yeah you either climb really hard or uh -huh. you didn't climb <laughs> like there was like no in between like that's <laughs> that's very unorthodox i feel like compare it to where we climb movement where it's mainly the in-between yeah and and that's completely true i feel like they were they were probably like 40 people climbing on regular basis yeah in the entire city like we're talking about really small scale but mm -hmm. there were probably equal amount of people climbing 513 and 14e and bidding there in movement paper. oh my god wow that's am i mean it's such like a social thing now you know what i mean in america climbing is like crossfit in yeah. a place in a place like denver y yes I, I agree on that whereas where you were climbing like they aren't there to check out girls or guys or chit chat they're yeah. there to fucking climb <laughs> yeah it was dirty and yes. it, it was in a high school gymnasium so training started after six o'clock in the afternoon um you had to pull the pad for yourself then you had to clean after yourself and uh it was a different environment people went to train and to train for competitions yeah but rock climbing was at first i wasn't psyched at all i i started climbing a little bit on rock then i was not psyched at all there was no bouldering also ah you you climbed on boulder walls mm -hmm. but you trained to sport climb yeah yeah i mean that's so but you at some point did get psyched on competitive climbing right is that oh everyone like everyone yeah. as a kid like all i wanted was competition really i actually went in september or october in 2001 which i just barely started climbing to my first competition yeah it was leading speed whoa wow speed climbing way back then way back then was way cooler you could get <laughs> steep stuff roofs and 
It was a big deal. It wasn't just a flat wall with the same boats over and over. Yeah. Oh my God, that's amazing. Did you like that? No. <laughs> <laughs> Even then. Yeah. No I, I mean, I I thought speed was cool, but just to yeah. do it through the comp, like I I would never train speed. I thought that was dumb. <laughs> but you at this gym, you get fairly strong, right? Were you there for a while? Yeah. I mean, like. The gym was a kind of old, but it hit the two hydraulic walls. Wow. And then it hit a really good uh, little wall with the roof. I don't have pictures. The The gym doesn't exist anymore, but it was really cool. There was a hold on every single boat. And yeah. yeah. It, it really really kind, old school. I don't think it's the old school because I, I still see around the world, like the Slovenian team still climbs like that. Like if you see how the Austrians and... I mean, I think that's the way. If you look at Adam Ondra, he, mm -hmm. he has his wall and everyone. Like, I think that's the way to get strong. Not commercial sitting, it's fun. I think it's really nice to go for a gym, but it's hard to train on that. I agree. Uh, I think you're totally on par. Every other country is just, you see their training walls and they're just grid. At every bolt <laughs> hole is covered. That's the way to do it. Why waste the space? I don't think it's a waste of space. I think once you learn certain patterns, it allows you to try harder combinations with the holds that you know. And also it allows you to climb more on flash and on side. And also to have this 15, 15 move climbs or 20 move climbs. And then you can eliminate some feet or have like a hold in feet only or like yellow feet only. And then you can build up on climbing more circuits and like you can have this volume climbs like 70 move plus and you can just stay on the wall for a longer time. And if you want to do that on the lead wall, it doesn't have enough time, like finding a belayer or having the variety of the holds, it's impossible. And it's just a completely different. Yeah. I mean, if you look in the Japanese team, if you look into the... Slovenian team, just the highest performing teams still use those type of walls. You don't need like the largest facility in the world to become the best climber. And I think that has been historically proven. Like I remember when Dimitri Sherafudinov was winning all the competitions, mm -hmm. his wall was a little smaller than a moonboard. <laughs> and he didn't hit the holds. He didn't he didn't hit the money or his federation was so poor so he didn't hit the holds. And he's still the competitor with the most world championship behind what the his belt. I mean, even if you look, let's if if you look into American climbing, and particularly in Colorado, Cats, the gym in Boulder, has been the corn store of the strongest climbers in America. Like everyone that climbs V15 and came from this area at one point or another has climbed there. Like Daniel Woods at one point, John Cardwell was a yeah. regular customer there uh you have dave, sean rabbit you dave graham was there maybe once uh <laughs> maybe once but uh, yeah carlo and all those people have been yeah regulars so i guess you were there a lot i, I was at, <laughs> at the tail end of the popularity of those guys like i was there because i liked it and i like the environment and i really really like woody climbs like like spray walls and mm -hmm. that's my thing i love it 
I feel like that emulates a little bit of outside climbing when you have a spray wall that doesn't change for a really long time and you can consistently return to your spray wall projects and sort of see progress on those, but also just kind of build your, your strength kind of in a progressive manner where in sometimes in commercial setting, like you go there and I don't know, sometimes it's hard to see progress, I guess. Mm, I think commercial setting, it's a lot more humbling. The whole selection is way better because you've never seen like a $300 volumes on a spray wall. <laughs> so it has its beauty also, but no one sets hard climbs in a commercial settings. Like there's a big limitation on how hard those climbs can go. Mm -hmm. So if you're targeting specific things outside in your be beyond like the V11 range, commercial setting, it becomes like a one time a month per gym deal to be very effective. Yeah, that's a super good point. So did you start getting pretty serious about competitive climbing? Like, at, at, so 2001 was your first comp. Were you? Oh, I was so addicted. Like the moment I started climbing, <laughs> I was really addicted. I, I loved it and I was super weak. <laughs> I sucked so much. Um, physically, I was really weak. And the person I started climbing, we were at the same school, same age, same class. We were neighbors and he was really strong. He mm -hmm. was break dancing when I was seventh grade. I didn't, I, I played soccer a little bit and he was break dancing. He was doing 28 pull-ups. I, it took me two months to do one <laughs> arm pull-up. So it was a big disbalance, but as we start climbing in about three to four months, we were climbing the same. Yeah. But at first he was really, really strong. That's really interesting. <laughs> it's like catching up that fast. But it's good to have the environment. I think once you have the environment of people being really excited just to go and train and just to be really serious about it, it's it's really easy to progress around environment yeah. like that. When if you go and you're like, oh, I will do a spin class, then I'll do <laughs> yoga and then I'll climb, but then there are like chicks to check out. Like, I don't <laughs> think that's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> And then you'll go get your protein shake because you need protein to recover. Heck yeah, go Minko. Then you'll go home. But um, no, I actually think like you don't need that much time to climb. And if you have a really good environment and when people are really psyched around you, things happen way faster. Yeah. How many comps were like available to you? If you say you became addicted, like how often were you entering competitions? So the first year I only entered one and I got second to last in speed in <laughs> lead but the people were really really psyched they were like buses with people coming from all around the country and at that time at the region where i was climbing climbing was popular for younger kids so the first year was only one comp the second year i did the entire circuit so it was five to six comps yeah which was quite a bit. How did you like, were you doing better each comp? Not second yeah, to last? I, I actually, my second comp, I won for difficulty. Cause wow. I was training all year, all, all winter and I really liked it. So about in a year circuit, I, I went from second to last almost to win. Holy shit. That's pretty proud. 
Yeah, I think like in Europe, like competition climbing, it's viewed a lot more as what the sport is, not the lifestyle. But everyone likes rock, rock climbing. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's coming back to America where it's more of becoming a lifestyle, but more at the gym rather than it's completely different scene of what was the gym climbing and mm -hmm. was the outside climbing. But I think inside climbing, it's becoming more and more popular just as a fitness and, and yeah, as it's exercise. Its own, yeah. But it's a completely different scene of what it, what I start in. I mean, I, in general, I don't think climbing was that popular in 2001 than it's now. Just the facilities were not no. even close. The whole choices were completely different. And yeah, I think it's nice to see what it used to be and what's now. Yeah. Uh, it's just so I remember climbing gyms from like the late 90s. And like if you had <clears throat> we interviewed Boone Speed last night, right? And he had a part. What do you remember the pusher boss? Yeah. Yeah. So if your gym had a boss, you were just like fucking so psyched because <laughs> you had one gigantic hold on the wall. But other than that, they were all like um, e grips holds, right? And I don't know what you had in Europe. No. So Europe has been ahead, I think, of the climbing industry for years, and I, I think America is still not catching up. Um, I'm a little biased. <laughs> um, I'm associated with a brand that I, if you guys want to talk about it, yeah, yeah, I, I'm associated with a brand. And one interesting thing about the gym where I started climbing, it's not a big name came out of it. So there is only one climb that one guy that climbed 514 D. And that was it. Like no one won an international comp or nothing big happened, but that it's in the sports side, mm -hmm. but on the industry side, majority of the climbing industry came out from this gym. So the Wotopia guys back in the day was HRT and now they're like the largest conglomerate in the world. I think they're more than 450 employees. This brand Xcode, which developed the fiberglass volume came out from this gym. Um, there was like another wall manufacturer, which is one of the oldest manufacturer in Europe, which it's six kilometers from where I'm from. It's called Usteto. That's within that area. So a lot of things happen. Why do you think that was? Um, entrepreneurship, I think, happened because um, people just were curious. Um, I, I think the industry was so in such a beginning stage that it allowed you to start in a garage or in anything else. And because people that started those companies were involved in climbing for so long and either they had the business entrepreneurship knowledge or they had the knowledge of the climbing industry and it was really early to start on. And when you look into this brand, uh, they've been there for 18 or like 20 years so they they had a lot of trial and error but they got to the point where they are now and now when you start in a garage you're missing all this 20 to 30 years yeah so these are you're saying all these companies are people you climbed like grew up climbing with yeah 
Damn. And they're like 10 to 15 years older than I am. And, and, and they have like different backgrounds, sculpture, um, construction, entrepreneurship or so forth. That's incredible, man. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> just to come out of such a small little area. In like very unknown city or a country. But yeah. as you look in, when I look into the climbing industry now, like that's not uncommon. Like I think the Slovenians and the Bulgarians are kind of dominating that industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, Waltopia is huge. It's almost every modern gym is. You can tell it's like, oh, this is Waltopia. I mean, I mean, the quality, the innovations, and everything has grown up so much that now they're the leader. And yeah. It's cool to see that. I mean. I remember back in the day it was not that, <laughs> but it developed to be that, yeah. which is a kind of cool. Like looking yes. back, like if someone told me in 2002 or three that this thing will happen, I, I would never believe it. Mm -hmm. Were you at all involved? So you're a part of X-Cult now. In but very, very, very late. Very late. I mean, I'm talking about 2018. I, I started okay. dealing with that. And prior to that, I... I was just an observer of what was happening. Mm -hmm. But it was cool to see how some of my friends grew up and yeah. th their love for climbing and doing something that they can climb and do living out of it became that's, yeah, that's, something oh, that's like the... within the global industry. Mm. And I'm in, 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 the, in the very end, it, it's not people that start to make money out of it. It's people that were curious and they were really passionate about the sport and um, I think sometimes like when you look into a professional climber, you can be like, oh yeah, this climber did this climb and developed this area. But when you look into something that, oh yeah, people start building flat, good angle walls and kind of they contribute to everyone within the industry and help to develop the sport. Like for example, the fiberglass volumes, I mean, that it's something that changed the style of bouldering. I mean, bouldering today on the global scene, it wouldn't be the same of if you didn't hit that product out there. Why is that? Um, so for example, the fiberglass volume, it allows you to have a completely different, like the, the friction allows you to hold shapes that you will not be able to hold from PU. And also the, uh, the size of the hold push you out of the wall so it turns your center of gravity so mm. much in a position that you it's hard to experience so when i look into the world cups and where like this trend will go i think it will go a little bit away from plywood and will get even more to larger fiberglass mm -hmm. um and that will continue because it surprises the climber to put the body into a position where the center of gravity it's different and mm -hmm. makes you uncomfortable. So you have to risk and it creates different moves that you have to experiment with. Yeah. Like the, I think that's one thing that changes climbing. It's the level of commitment and uh, what it takes to win competitions. Cause it's not how strong you are. Mm -hmm. It's like you have to commit and do this, l learn those moves on the goal. Yeah. yeah, I mean, everybody at the highest level is probably very comparable in terms of just raw strength and physicality. Yeah, yeah they still have it. And uh, to some people, it looks like, oh, yeah, it's Ninja Warriors. But I, yeah. I think the level of athleticism yeah. needed, it's 
way bigger than five years ago. It's no longer of who has the strongest mm-hmm. fingers or who it's the how many pull-ups can you do? Mm. That's obsolete. Everybody climbs before yeah. teens on creams. Yeah. They just need that next level. <laughs> I mean, that's an undeniable trend. Like I've been to the last few World Cups in Vail, and it's every time you go, it's like the the size and the intricacy of these volumes like continues to grow in complexity. And uh, it's just the, the weird obstacles that these climbers are looking at. If you compare it to the bouldering World Cup from 2010, um, where you can watch Daniel, like, the the route's pretty straightforward, like, power. Um, I don't know. It's, yeah. Do you like it? I do. I think it, I mean, it's undeniable that it, I think, for a, if you want climbing to grow, in some capacity, it also has to become more engaging for spectators. And that that style of more dynamic climbing, I think, is more appealing just to, to the general viewer. Hmm. Do you like it, Minko? Yeah, I feel the same way. And I think like this split, it's extremely necessary uh, in terms of climbing outside. It's just so scary. I mean, you don't have new areas popping every single year. It's, mm-hmm. You have such a limit on the outside area. So I think a lot more people get attracted to just climb at the gyms and have a lot of fun on that style of climbing, which is completely different than the outside. So you have wider spectrum of routes and like route setting and different things to attract people and the people that just want to go and climb at the gym as a fitness gym. It gives them a lot more intrigue, like they can be a lot more intrigued and engaged and involved in this newer movement and at the end of the day i think it's a lot safer probably on the fingers maybe not as much on the shoulders but it's cool i i think it provides a wider spectrum of what climbing is and you can get intrigued and do that and you can be interested of doing that style but then you can be like no i only want the outside style so you can focus on that or you can just go to the moon board yeah (laughs) thank god for that so let's go back to, I want to talk about your continuation with comp climbing. Mm-hmm. So how, <laughs> talk about your progression through the comps. I mean, you went from second to last to first place in your first two comps. Where did it go from there? So the second year in 2002, I started doing like the country's Republican um, circuit. And then... In 2002, one of the top 10 competition walls was built in my city. So it was a big deal. It was, I think the contract was split by Waltopia. Big then was called HRT in this country, in this company called Usteto. So they split the wall and everyone was competing who can build a better wall. So it was phenomenal. When people saw that wall, everyone was like, whoa. In 2002, this wall puts gyms like Baker and all those a shame. I mean, the, the wall is still really relevant. That's it, cool. It was phenomenal wall, tall. So that was the first European Young Cup that I entered. It was an IFC comp. So all the teams showed up. So I kind of saw a different perspective of what competition climbing was you know yeah. one like by by that time i only competed first within my city then within the country but 
Yeah. When you see Not all those the... European people coming mm-hmm. in and showing up, it was phenomenal. Like it blew my mind. I got even more interested. I was so excited that I got <sighs> late with two minutes for isolation because I made it to finals and I got disqualified. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's cool to see that um, the players big then are still some of the players like uh, Gabriel Moroni. Mm-hmm. I met him on my first comp. He's still a big crusher. Um, I think Anna Stor was there. Oh, wow. Uh, Cedric Lasha, Jörg Verhoeven. So kind of like the people that were winning yeah. these comps were, <laughs> are the people that are continuously doing well pushing their out. limits and they're still around and most of them made a career out of it, which yeah. was really, really cool. Well, that's an interesting thing is that you can, it seems like it's more feasible to have a career as a comp climber in Europe than it is to do so in the U.S. Is that, is that true? I think they're two completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think you're right. Um, and I think that because of the government and yeah. some, some of those countries like Slovenia, Austria... I think you're, you you can get that through the army and I think some Russians also do it. Like the army sponsors you and yeah, that's like Christian core, the Italian climber. He's, he's, he's technically the police forces climber. I think he's sponsored by the police force. Anna Stur and Killian Fischhuber were both totally sponsored by the military during their entire that's amazing. climbing careers. I mean, it gave them an opportunity to train like an Olympic athlete. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, um, there's just different mentality in Europe where people are a lot more focused on lifestyle and their spare time rather than their career. So money, it's not what attracts people that much. So people value different things a little more. Mm-hmm. So I think there is different culture. I think America is the culture of I want a bigger house, bigger car. And you get wrapped into it where Europe, it's more about leisure time and other things that um, attracts them like sports and just being outside a little more and having more vacation. So I think growing up in that culture, you have countries supporting more sports and more activities that it's not about the sports that make the money, like basketball, football, where mm-hmm. they give you the scholarships, but they're just seeing what's active and what people like, and it becomes part of their culture. Mm-hmm. Like the Slovenia, I think it's a really good example, very small country. No history in other sports, like recently, they, they don't have that big soccer history or anything mm-hmm. like that, but climbing there, it's like religion. Same yeah. thing with Austrians and so forth. So I think the roots are a lot deeper to these issues. I yeah. think the industry is still small and it's really hard to support athletes. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think in America, the money comes from the industry. So as you see, like the bigger companies like the North Face and companies that are supporting athletes really well, they're not climbing specific brands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. And the North Face is really... They're really pushing. They're really, they're a really good company to be a team member of. Yeah. Like they support their climbers big, big, big time. But there aren't really that many other American companies that do that, that support at that level. But then you have a different phenomenon in America that 
people are a lot more attracted and view and value outside climbing and you have people that dedicate their lives just to become outside climbers and which requires a lot more time and a lot more trips and just time being spent outside but um i think america has more wealth so you have a lot of kids that <laughs> like climbing and then they decide not to go to college but the parents give those money to support them and they become outside climbers <sighs> my dream <laughs> and i think being around here in colorado you can see that easily yeah That's yeah this is the yeah especially boulder i feel like let's not rip on anybody but <laughs> <laughs> we can rip on it a little yeah. bit maybe so I want to know is uh, how did you end up going from uh, Bulgaria then coming to Colorado? So I didn't came to Colorado at first. I lived in Arizona for majority of the time. Oh, that's uh, right. So when did you move? Oh six. Dang. So you were like seventeen. Yeah. Wow. So that was a big switch for me, and I think it was really important because. Um, it changed my mindset on climbing, so um, I, I came here for education, and it was something that I didn't unforeseen of how difficult it will be. Like, uh, it came like a really easy, like, oh yeah, I'll go to Arizona, it's cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I went, and uh, at first, I, I wasn't really into school, <laughs> so the first five or six months were really hard for me, and I didn't climb. But then as I started climbing, like this American mentality became and hit me immediately. Like there's no more comps, <laughs> yeah. like it's outside climbing. Yeah. Um, so then I started climbing in value outside climbing quite a bit more than ever before. Like the comps were no, no longer interesting to me. And then I realized like, gosh, climbing was outside was so accessible to me back in Bulgaria, <laughs> like mm -hmm. 15 minutes walking <laughs> from home. And like, that's pretty amazing. We drive two and a half hours for this shitty rock. <laughs> I mean, like it was, Sounds about right. it, it, it was like mind blowing. And then if you look into like a place like Arizona, like if you want to sport climbing, if you live in Phoenix, some of the good stuff, it's about two and a half hours away. But then if you want to go even further, you have to drive either to Vegas or you have to take some really, really long trips. Yeah, man. If you want to get into the good rock. Um, but then I climb until 2007. I only rock climb and I quickly start running out of people that were dedicated to it. Like people just want to climb and I got one crash pad. Then I got a second crash pad and... Uh, that year i was really busy with school and i was working so the only time i could go outside was thursday nights after school because i was finishing a little early so i started climbing outside a little more on like late afternoon late sessions bouldering and were you going to like queen creek no i first started bouldering so first time I went bouldering was in Hueco Tanks, wow. which sucks because when you get the base, everything else, <laughs> it's not that good. But then I started going to an area called Groom Creek in, pa in uh, Prescott. Uh. 
so it was pretty close for me at the time i really liked it and um that's when i became a little more avid towards bouldering and i remember in april of 2007 i did my first v9 then by june and july I did first v11 then i did a v10 <laughs> by november i did v12 and march of next year so in 11 months i went from v9 to v13 that's pretty in 2007 and 8 yes wow and that's world class in that, <laughs> yeah. at that time and then i was like well everything is possible but i i got a really bad injury yeah what you hurt a pulley in 2008 that took me like almost a year to recover and i'm glad i did that because i would have dropped out of college like i, I really liked climbing and i really wanted to travel and climb all the time but school got pretty hard and in 2009 and 10 i climbed but very little outside mostly at the gym and i was mostly focused on school mm -hmm. uh, 11 was pretty much the same thing and by the end of 11 i was done with school I passed my CPA exams, so I was like, oh, okay, I'm done with school, and I start and want to climb more, but wasn't that good in Arizona anymore, and um, I decided to move to Colorado. Yeah. I actually got laid off in 2012, oh, shit. and I had to move a little faster to Colorado than I thought. <laughs> um, but yeah. I. I I had really great experience in Arizona. I climbed quite a bit in priest draw. That was really good because I was pretty light baked in and two finger pockets sucks when you're fat and now I'm fat. <laughs> I'm always fat. And yeah. Hence, <laughs> I hate two finger pockets. Yeah. But or that's the area I, I really developed as a boulder climber was yeah. priest draw. Holy crap. It's I a mean, place it, to get strong in a hurry. Well, priest draw. Worked really well for you. Phenomenal yeah. place. Um, <laughs> Like really high quality climbs, limestone, very distinct and unique on its own. Like, I love it. Yeah. Well, what do you, had you climbed in Colorado when you came here? Had you climbed here before? You taken I a have. trip? I have. I probably had about two months of climbing, but it was all on the western slope. It was right. Really? Oh wow. Uh, yeah. I nice. spent like one summer here in 2008. Prior to that, I spent a week. I came here in 2010, but all in rifle. And then where did you move when you came here? Originally, I moved to Boulder. I moved here and I got injured right away. <laughs> so I had to find a job. Uh, then I moved to Fort Collins. Wow. Then I moved to Westminster. And then I moved to Thornton. And here you've been. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and here we all are. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, I mean, you're you're somebody, too, who's pretty well-connected in the Colorado climbing community. Like, I feel like you know most of the people who are out there establishing lines and pushing the limits kind of around here. Yeah, I think, like, still the outside community until 2015 was pretty small. Really? Mm. And a lot of people like me moved it, and now it sucks. So <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you climbed V13 in 2008. Were you like tempted to just say, I'm out, man. 
I'm going to go get a sponsorship and I'm just going to travel and I'm going to climb and I'm going to see how far I can take this. No. No. <laughs> no. You're just like school first. Well, the injury. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, school was always, I always get the mentality of um, you either get a job or a school, whatever it is, and climbing to your hobby. That's yeah. how I always approach it. I think it's when i was probably 14 it might have been like oh yeah when you grow up you climb yeah but quickly it's i realized no it's not <laughs> you grow up and work <laughs> all right i mean yeah, you true. climb either if your country supports you or if your parents are rich but that's it yeah jesus that's refreshing <laughs> and nowadays like i think the boundary it's really really to enter within that oh my god get supported if you're good not rich it's like everybody is and especially because everyone's so good now and now standing out has shifted from just being someone who can climb a v14 15 to how many followers you have on your social media yeah how, how marketable you are as an individual but i think the cool part about climbing in where it's now it's it's um, very cool to see people that climb really hard in their 40s and still making mm -hmm. progress and people climb hard in their 50s. And um, it, that hobby element of the climbing has even become bigger and bigger and bigger. And with so many gyms, and it's a lot more easier to become better um, and very well-rounded. But also... There are more areas to climb, and if you just focus on outside climbing, you can see a very high-end hobby climbers. Yes. Which I think that didn't exist in the past. So now, like, the hobby climbers, at some point, there are people at the <laughs> bottom level of whatever they call the pro climbers and the sponsor ones that yeah. are worse than some of the top-level yes. hobby climbers. That's a good point. So... I think that's really cool because yes. in the past I felt like more like you hit to be a pro to mm -hmm. push the boundaries. Yeah, that myth's been sort of debunked a bit. When you hit the Alex Huber and mm -hmm. Francois Legrand and Yuji Hirayamas from the 90s, mm -hmm. like now you have, oh, someone there's so, yeah, there's just so many just just a weekend warrior who's puts in the time and. I mean, there are a lot out here in Colorado, like uh, Steve Honk, uh, Stevie Dimbozzi, and just people that still climb. Okay. It depends how you look at it, but okay. um, That's I, true. I'm also talking about people that have high-end career, like engineers or like uh, Jim Litz, for example. It's a really good example. He's like an engineer, a family guy. And, and also a, a badass. Badass climber. legend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ghost. A legend in the shadows. <laughs> Which I think it's super cool. You can have great. the best of both worlds. You can live in the big city and not sacrifice in anything. Mm -hmm. You don't have to live in a van or in a couch and just sacrifice your entire life yeah. just to climb something where, oh, you can have it all and still. And still enjoy your hobby, yeah. Yeah. Well, Minko, we ha you have a story to tell. And I think it's time that we dug into that story because it's pretty fucking nuts. Here we go. <laughs> Vinko, you were struck by lightning. It's definitely a life-changing story. Yes. Uh, yes. 
I don't know how I look into it. Like, do I look at like? Really well, why don't we? Why don't you just start? Just tell us how it happened. Let's go from the very like. I mean, I think everybody, I know, really wants to hear the story because it doesn't happen that often. It, yeah, and like the way I look at it now, it's probably not the way I looked at it like a month ago. Mm-hmm. But um, mm. right now it's what October ten today. Yeah. So yeah. it's almost um, two months of when the accident happened so on august 17th it was saturday and i went to rocky mountain national park just to climb beautiful day great forecast 20 percent chance of rain and lightning which for alpine season that means chances that you get rain are really really low and it will be a great day um i was really psyched to go to upper upper chaos canyon I went to the parking lot, I went by myself, and it was about 2 o'clock, and a raging storm came in. Like, <laughs> it, it was pouring, and I was like, great, I'll get a parking spot, and I did get a parking <laughs> spot, so I waited the storm. Uh, a few lightnings, a little bit of hail, and as season goes, like after 10 minutes sunshine and rainbows and i was like all right it's like around 2:15, and i'm like i'm going climbing so it was a little wet i started the hike i was super excited just to climb till either nine and go home and i start going up and right on the fire trail i met two climbing rangers that i know really well and yeah. they were they looked miserable like they got poured on like <laughs> hell and I'm like, hey, what's up, guys? And they're like, hey, we got rain. They climbed some trail on Hallett's Peak. And they were like, yeah, just be careful, dear. It's another storm coming at about 3.30. And I'm like, all right. Like, I mean, it's like monsoon season, dear. It's always an afternoon yeah. storm. But 20% chance of shower. I was like, oh, that's yeah. pretty cool. I'm just going to upper, upper chaos to climb. So I started hiking even more in... By the time I hit Lake Hayahov, where we go to Upper Chaos, um, I kind of went towards the lake a lot more than usual. And I kind of looked up the clouds and I'm like, oh, shoot, it's another storm start building on the Continental Divide and another one about Hallett's Peak. So I'm like, you know, I came, I try. I'm just going back to the gym or something. It was still really early. Mm -hmm. At that time, it was probably 2.45. I'm like, all right, I'm, and I was like, I'm going on a family vacation for my mom's birthday the next day, so I'm like, I'll just drink beers and go to the gym and mm-hmm. get trashed. <laughs> um, so I started climbing, hiking back, and I hit a backpack, and I passed lower chaos, and as I start climbing up towards um, getting out of lower there it's like one section that you have a little bit of uphill and there are some tourists there and it started to drizzle a little bit and i stopped underneath a tree and put my rain jacket on and pretty much that's the last time i had some memories yeah and the next two minutes are a kind of missing of what happened but um next what i remember it's i woke up on the ground and i was like 
I, I didn't know where I was. I was definitely confused and disoriented and pushed myself a little bit. And I'm like, oh, I'm in Rocky Mountain National Park. Yeah. Uh, what I'm doing here and in my mind, it felt it's April. I yeah. was like, wow, it's so early season and the snow, it's melted. Like, And I looked up, I saw Long's Peak. And as I start moving, I just saw like, I was getting rained on and I was wet and the first thing like I saw was just a bunch of blood dripping down from my face. I couldn't tell where it was coming from, but nothing hurt and then I couldn't move. So it just like hit you? Yeah, I didn't know what was happening. I could crawl a little bit with my left arm, but I, I, I couldn't walk and kind of like one of these moments that you see in the movies, like yeah. a guy gets shot and he's just crawling and blood is drooling from his mouth. And oh that's God. exactly how I felt. And I, I honestly thought like probably I got shot or something happened with oh my me. God. And I, I, I remember vividly that I pushed myself with my left arm and I fell on my back and that's where it was my backpack. So I was a kind of like a turtle. Yeah. Oh. Like I couldn't move that much. And then I looked towards my leg and I wear jeans that day and I was pretty wet. Um, and all I saw, like my left leg was just smoking. Smoking? Smoking. Like a barbecue smoking. Oh my God. So I didn't know what happened and I was like, oh shoot, you know, something is happening. And yeah. uh, the other thing that was crazy it's my right arm was pretty much paralyzed and it was right on my chest and my right hand was just um curved like a hook like a pirate hook yeah and it was sticking out of my rain jacket and i grabbed it with my left arm and lift my arm and it was so cold and just fell back on my chest and I was like, oh shoot, yeah, I, I lost my arm. <laughs> and the first thoughts that I have, it's like, my left leg is probably a call. I cannot move it or feel it. I cannot feel my right arm. I have yeah. no idea what it's happening. Yeah, what the fuck? But the first thought that I have in my mind was, gosh, I'm losing my leg, probably would get emptied and my right arm, it's gone. And I was like, shoot, I, I'll probably never climb again. Like, I really hate that thought. But then I was like, I just want to live. Did you know what happened at this point? At this point, I didn't know what happened, but I started moving. I was extremely calm and very cautious and just moved really slow. Um, and then there were two guys, a, a guy and a girl, as I looked up the hill, and they were just standing under the trees and they were like, hey, don't move. You just got struck by lightning. Oh my God. Then the whole thing started making sense. Yes. Um, I didn't know what it meant to be struck by lightning by that time. And yeah, I was like, well, I got struck by lightning. Um, so I, I was like, I, I never asked for help, but I was like, hey guys, can you help me to get up? Yeah, like, what the fuck? And they were like, no, no, you might shock us. But <laughs> luckily enough, at the spot where they were, they hit cell phone service. Mm -hmm. oh. And the guy was dialing 911. And he was like, hey, here, here's the guy that got struck by lightning. And I can hear him. He was like probably like 20 feet from me. And um, 
he called 911, then he called the park. There was another guy coming down that um, he saw me and started running back. And because of the rain, there were not that many people, but um, those guys stayed with me. They didn't come close or did anything, but at that time, like, the adrenaline didn't stay with me for so much. Yeah. Oh, no. So, unfortunately, pain started kicking in. And I, at that time, still my right leg, I couldn't move it. Yeah. I can barely move my right leg a little bit, but the left one was, I couldn't toes. feel my toes. I couldn't feel anything. And I can barely move or wiggle my toes on the right foot my right arm was just cramped up cramped up and i felt an insane pain on the back of my shoulder so somehow i thought like i probably broke my collarbone because i've never broke a bone before mm -hmm. but the pain was insane so i was like this is the larger pain in my life like it sucks. I hit a broken nose. I hit concussions. I hit pretty bad. Yeah, because you fell and like hit your head. I hit my head, but it. I mean, I mean, in the past, I hit different type of injuries. I rode bikes. I mm -hmm. fell so many times, but this thing was like nothing before. Like I was in insane pain. Like I could just stay on my back, getting <sighs> rained on, and no one came to really help me help me like there were people around me i'm very thankful that they called like yeah. search and rescue like the park and the 911 but um no one came close to me um uh, oh. and one of the largest did of lightning as i learned afterwards was people lose heart rhythm or their heart stops and if there's no person around them to give them cpr or to wake them up that's it yeah. So I was really lucky at the initial stage of the lightning strike not to have hit uh, any brain damage or any um, heart issue. So I woke up on my own and e even though I got struck, I, I was extremely lucky, first of all, to survive the initial struck. Secondly, to wake up without any of those major um life threatening issues um but that's things that i learned later like sitting right there getting rained on and asking people for help on the trail was i, I mean i i didn't knew better um i was just happy to be yeah survive and to wake up and um i, I didn't thought about like oh maybe something can get amputated or um I didn't know anything. I was just waiting for someone yeah. to come and get me out of there. How long did that feel? How long did it feel like you were just there? Um, I think it took about 30 minutes. Um, one of That's the fast. Yeah, one of the rangers came in so quick. And I'm very thankful. She came in right away, um, cut my clothes. Probably if my clothes were taken off, my uh, burn injuries wouldn't be as bad yeah but once again like that initial help that people could have give uh, i didn't receive and i cannot blame anybody i mean i'm i'm, I'm still thankful they called and i got yeah. found so yeah it, they it, were probably so scared as well yeah um i understand it like if you find a guy in the middle of the city in like a terrible car crash you don't want to touch them yeah. and mm -hmm. maybe that's where it came from but yeah 
if I got struck anywhere where people were not around, I would probably die. Yeah. Either from hypothermia that day or I would not be found. And there's no cell phone service and I was by myself. Um, so I'm glad I decided to turn around and not to go to upper or upper upper. Um, yeah. It wasn't the best climbing day for many people. So um, first climbing ranger came in cut my clothes, start, gave, gave me an IV. I think she gave me painkillers, but I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. And, uh, she'd start to prepare me to, uh, get saved and rescued. Uh, and then the climbing rangers that I saw on my way up yeah. came back, they got called in and, uh, it's uh, this guy, Phil and Jonah, they are climbing rangers. Um, and they knew probably oh yeah they, they knew me and they didn't feel great to see me in that position oh, because, yeah. i mean that's crazy um I, I was pretty happy to see them and then the search and rescue team came in and they kind of stabilized me um they put me in emergency blanket and then they put me on a stretch and they put me on this fancier stretch to get down by search and rescue and uh, they start moving me down as quickly as they could because a large storm was coming it was a kind of a, like a bumpy um pretty bumpy ride down the trail <laughs> and it took them probably 30 minutes or Jeez. 40 to get me down but they were really quick and um it, it, it was i i felt like very very relieved at that point because i was like all right something is happening yeah. i'm yeah. moving yes. i'm not getting rained on helps coming you know it's a kind of like the lucky part um and as I, as we hit down the parking lot a huge storm start raging and i remember the raindrops start hitting me really hard as Jesus. i as i was getting into the ambulance and I, I, you know, when, when there are people start doing things on, on you, like there's a kind of like internal relief of, mm. all right, things are happening. Yes. You're, in, you're in pain, but you're surrounded by people that know what to do. Yeah. So I got a quick ambulance right through Rocky Mountain and by Glacier Gorge campsite was a helicopter waiting for me. And I got put on that and I got um, airlifted to uh uc hill in loveland um so that was my pretty quick uh helicopter ride to there and i got immediately into the er room and after about 15 minutes of checks and vitals and everything like the guys were like you're stable wow my you, God. you survived and i was like wow that that's great and <laughs> yeah I was super happy and they were just cleaning me a little bit. And, uh, it was a new experience to me. I've never been to the ER, but naked and kind of like, I was like, Oh, I just want to fall asleep and I don't want to see any of the work being done on me. I know, yeah. <laughs> just put me out. Yeah. I'm like, just put me out, give me painkillers <laughs> and I, I want out. Like you can do whatever you want with me, but, um, immediately like that. They came with an X-ray because they were asking me what are your major complaints, and they were like, "No bones, it's um, broken on you." And I was pretty happy, and they were like, "Yeah, you have some burns, and you get transported." And at that time, I felt like 
maybe two to three days and I'm going home. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it felt to me. I didn't know what a burn injury meant or yes. how um, severe that can be. So I went, um, I, I started getting uh, ready for a transport to the UC Health Hospital in Aurora, which is about an hour and 20 minutes, right? And mm -hmm. at that point, one of the nurses came in and he was like, hey, by the way, would you like to see your parents? They're here. And I'm like, gosh, that sucks. Uh, wow. <laughs> I didn't want to do that to them because um, yes. we were ready for a family vacation and oh, I supposed to go on. So the accident happened on late afternoon Saturday and I was going on this family vacation with my mom and dad for her bird for my mom's birthday for five days to Aspen on Sunday. Sunday morning we were leaving. They were ready for something else. So they thought they were coming to pick me up and they didn't know what happened to me. They really thought like I fell and injured myself. But then they learned that I got struck by lightning and same thing for them. Like they knew I had a little bit of burns, but we didn't know what it was. So I talked to them. My dad picked up my belongings and he like they came, they followed the ambulance and I get transported to UC Health. And as I got um, admitted to the burn cleaning, I immediately got put in something called the burn, uh, the tub room, uh -huh. which it's a kind of like almost like a torture device, like really hot uh, room that you get washed and start getting cleaned. And they were evaluating my uh, burns at that time. And um the whole process took like hour and a half and at that point I, I i knew things are not going well yeah and things are a lot more severe than i thought but um um that was about i would say like 10 or 11 o'clock at night it was pretty late and i was there for a long time and uh i was estimated with 30% burns on my body, mm -hmm. some of them as deep as third percent, uh, th third degree, um, which is, which means like you, your skin cannot grow on its own and you need surgeries. And I, I, and I asked like, Hey, am I getting a surgery? And they're like, yeah, you're probably looking for 1% at the minimum per day at the hospital, which is 30% would be at 30 days and maybe five to six surgeries. And um, that's how my beginning started. And then I got in ICU unit and uh, things started progressively getting worse. I got two C-scans that night and um, they found out immediately in one of my vitals that I'm releasing a protein that it's only associated with dead tissue. So something was dying in my body. So I went full to see skins that night, like every hour something was happening. And, uh, I wasn't, um, I wasn't sleeping that night. Yeah. How long have you been awake at this point? I, I don't think I've got a single hour of sleep for about 25 or 26 hours. Like, Jesus. And this is while you're probably you're getting hit by that adrenaline dump. You're also the emotional. Uh, adrenaline's long gone. What did it feel like when that reality hits you of like, I may be going home in like two or three days, and they're like, 
you're going to be here for 30 days and you're looking forward to a host of surgeries. Um, I was really relaxed and I just lived the responsibilities to the people taking care of me. Yeah. Um, inside of me, I was like more of a forward. Like I was like, okay, I'll do whatever you guys tell me. I just want to recover and go home. And I remember by the, by the morning, I start wiggling my toes on my left foot quite a bit. I wiggle my, uh, right arm quite a bit I, I just didn't want to look at the damage on my leg yes. i was a little scared to yeah, see what it was but i looked at my shoulder and it looked like i just hit like something like a road rash it was a, like a little red and it looked like i feel on a skateboard or like with yeah. a bicycle on the asphalt so things didn't look that bad i got stitch on my chin i got some outside lip stitches inside lip stitches after the um, um, the results start coming early in the morning. They let me know my jaw is broken, my eardrum is broken. <laughs> um, so things start hitting me really hard, really quick. So Sunday and Monday, I, I was just getting like probably like nine liters of fluid. I had by that by that time I had uh feeding tube through my nose i hit a catheter i couldn't even get up on my bed to sit it was pretty rough and then tuesday i got my first uh surgery it was about two to three hours um and on that surgery after i came back it was more about cleaning and see the severity of the wounds i came back and i was told that uh 50% of my deltoid muscle was removed because it was dead um, I had a bunch of third degree burns on my arm and shoulder. Um, the leg was fine and I was just pretty deep clean, which is something that you cannot sustain if you're not under. Yeah. And at that point I was told that because my results are not really good and this process of cutting muscles, tissues, bones removal might continue for 14 to 15 days. So it was Tuesday and I got scheduled for a surgery every other day to go oh. to a surgery and just to, I mean, the, I asked the guy like, hey, what's the next step? And he was like, more of the deltoid muscle can die, might go down to the bones, it can go to biceps, triceps. So he was like, don't worry, we'll take care of you. And I, I, I honestly took the news of my muscle was removed, like extremely calm. I, I didn't have any feelings or emotions. It was just like, it is whatever it is. Yeah. Then Thursday came in, I went back for a really big surgery, uh, with the expectation that things won't be the same when I wake up, something will be removed. Mm -hmm. like uh i was going like the guy told me like the, my surgeon told me like right before the surgery he was like hey i'm gonna bring a orthopedic guy in case you need like some partial bone removal they would just chisel out the dead part jesus um so yeah thursday came in i went for the surgery i woke up again um he came in he was laughing and i was like oh man what the heck happened <laughs> 
and he was oh, like you know he was like you're the one of the luckiest person i've ever seen and i'm like why and he was like i've never seen that two days ago like i remove a huge chunk of things from your body and tissues and he's like nothing has died nothing has continued to die he's like i'll prepare you and soon you have another surgery which will be a grafting at that time i didn't know what grafting yeah. was so a few days later my results start getting better my urine didn't look like blood um by that time uh, my jaw was shut down for two weeks completely shut down with wires and Jeez. yeah mm -hmm. um because my jaw was broken so i couldn't talk I could listen to people, I could talk with closed mouth, but I was going for a third surgery down the road and pretty much my life was around getting cleaned every day, which was like a little shower in that tub room and then scrub my wounds and get cleaned. Um, it was an extremely painful process that I could only sustain it through very hard, high, large amounts of uh, painkillers. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I got my third surgery. My, they took a bunch of skin from my leg. It got put on my shoulder. I couldn't move my shoulder much, but I was super happy. I was like, man, I'm, I'm getting better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, things were getting healed. I didn't know what that even meant. Like I was getting grafts and um, I was pretty scared to look into my leg. Um, Cause it hurt and if it hurts i didn't want to look at it and never looked into my shoulder of what that wound looked like i didn't want to look into pictures from my surgeries or what it used to be and what yeah. it's now so i was at the hospital and um i was just writing it I, I i had a bunch of visitors from the climbing community my close friends family i was surrounded by people just coming to visit and it, it was kind of very very humbling because my day was like pretty much i wake up people will come over um then i'll go get clean get hooked on drugs all day long and maybe i'll stand up and sit a little bit um i couldn't walk like i was using a walker mm -hmm. um i couldn't go to the bathroom i was like i had a catheter um but after six or seven days like i was removed from the icu status and i was in the same room but a bunch of the monitors and things were taken down and i was becoming a lot more normal and i was pretty happy after the third surgery and pretty much that was it like people were pretty optimistic that um that might be i, I might be done with the surgeries and i, I was very very happy because i was like oh I'm done with yeah. the hard part now like things are not dying i'm I'm out of the critical um part of my stay but when you recover sometimes you can recover too good and i was recovering on my left leg and um i was too much protein was uh, uh released up. released and built up from my body so um my good leg was not looking good anymore and i had to take another surgery on that leg um and it was already past 14 days after this happened because my wire was unjaw uh, like, like my jaw was 
unwired and I could talk. Mm -hmm. The feeding tube was gone, so I could eat like、uh, pureed food. And I got that last surgery, which was about three hours, and was my fourth. And that was probably like coming out of it was the most painful of all of them. But little after that, I was released on September 11th. So I spent 25 days in the hospital. 25 days. That's crazy. It seems like psychologically, at least the way you tell the story, you were all things considered, you were doing pretty well. I, I was getting. Above expectations, like I had that fourth surgery that was not foreseen,、um, and it wasn't enjoyable at all. But <laughs> all things considered, like I needed way less surgery than people thought. I got out of of the hospital like way earlier than anybody thought.、Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't. I wasn't in good conditions when I left the hospital. I didn't need that many painkillers.、Um, I could barely walk by myself, like barely. I I start walking on Monday, <laughs> and I got discharged on Wednesday. <laughs> it was very very quick. Yeah. Um. For twenty five days, I lost sixteen pounds. I was not the same person. Like I looked it. I saw myself the first day at home in the mirror and that. I I could barely recognize myself. It was crazy. Yeah, I mean that's like your body went through such a traumatic event. It, it was pretty rough. And once I was home, I was very relaxed. I could it, it, home was home. I could sleep、oh. better. Like at the hospital, I could never sleep more than four and a half hours because I had a window between eleven thirty and four o'clock. When they'd come to clean the wounds. No, that was like、uh, some somebody will always bug you either to draw、yeah. blood on you. Like I <laughs>、yeah. was getting my pills at eleven thirty and my other ones at four, so that was the only time I could sleep. If I could sleep, if I was not in pain or like、um, still like fifty days after the accident, I could not sleep on my sides. I can only sleep on my back, and I cannot roll. Yeah. So I'm at the point that. My back is this thing called blister, but I bleed from my back every single day. When is that expected to stop? I don't know.、Um, <laughs> oh my God! When you can roll to your side and fall asleep, that's gonna be like the greatest night ever, huh? But I mean, 50 days after the accident,、yeah. um, I I had another surgery on my right foot, so I'm not walking really well. I mean, like a little cast, but、yeah. uh, I can lift my shoulder, which is a big reward.、Um, When I was in the hospital, I could not lift my shoulder above above my head, pretty much.、Mm-hmm. You're like the, you're also kind of the luckiest, unluckiest guy because the strikes missed your head, missed your vital organs, right? Yeah. It kind of just somehow went from your shoulder through your body to, and it came out your leg, legs, correct? Yep. Do you feel lucky? I do. I do. Even though I have a damage that almost makes me disabled right now,、um, and I know consciously that I will never recover to the point I was prior to accident,、uh-huh. I'm still fine with it. Yeah.、Um, I don't feel any anger. I don't feel sad about it. Like 
I'm more happy to be alive and um, I just have to learn how to deal with all the unknowns and there's still so much damage on my body as of today. Like due to the this skin grafts, uh, my mobility on my right arm, it's probably 70% of what it used to be. My left leg, it's, I cannot even straight my leg still. Um, there's so much time. It will take me probably a whole year to somehow recover. That was my next question. When do the doctors yeah. expect the full recovery that you'll attain? Mm, a year? A year. Yeah. So 10 more months. Uh, right now I'm like doing PT close to six or seven times a day, like 10 to 15 minutes at the time. I'm just trying to stretch my arm as much as I can. But every spot in my body where I have skin that it's not naturally there. Yeah. It almost feels like pulling plastic. It pulls yeah. you back so much. It's not as flexible. Um, it's pretty hard to drive. I, I was yeah. driving before this, my fifth surgery. Um, pretty well, but now I'm a kind of sitting back. Well, yeah, it's on your your gas and brake foot. Yeah, that's <laughs> the important one. Yeah. <laughs> and I drive stick, so it's even. Oh, harder. oh Jesus. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I'm tr I'm I'm still on disability at my house. Um, I try to do PT as I said six to seven times a day, trying everything possible just to recover. Nothing yeah. else matters right now, like. I don't care if I go to work and make a little more money than I'm doing on disability, but um, I'm just... Yeah, and priority number one is... Get fixed. Yeah. What Did the doctors mention anything to you about your, like, the physical fitness that you have? Because, like, you're a super, super fit guy. Um, did they say, like, if you were some couch potato who wasn't as fit as you are, maybe that you wouldn't have had the same result? That is absolutely correct. I, I, I've been reminded that several times. Yeah. If I was unfit, I wouldn't be where I'm today. I might have needed a lot more surgeries. Yeah. Um, I might have lost a lot more um, muscle, tissues, bones, whatever you call it. But if I was couch potato, I, I would probably not be there. So you I would have been fine. <laughs> you would have been in a movie theater. Yeah. It wouldn't happen. Being lazy prevents you from accidents <laughs> like that. I guess so. Um, but no, like today I went to the doctor and uh, my right shoulder grew with two inches since last month. Yeah. So it's like mm -hmm. big success. And yeah. I mean, that's super good to hear. I mean, that's amazing what the human body can do. And that's, it's, you're fucking like, it's happening to you right now. And that's the, the truth. Like, um, it's unknown what my recovery will be because no one knows. Yeah. It's a kind of like, I see it's my own responsibility and the doctors can help me so much, but they won't be at home with me doing yeah. my PT or if I, I, I'm not just relying to go to the hospital and do an hour with PT. Like I, I won't know what to do and now do it three times more at home. Yeah. And that's how I see it. Like it's still going to be a big fight. I think I'll be able to climb again. I'll probably not be able to put any type of shoe for the next eight weeks, maybe. Yeah, that's... I, I'm expecting another surgery on my right foot. So that will set me back for a long time. Yeah. 
You have another surgery coming up, yeah. you think? I'll have like 100% one more surgery, probably like two to three weeks. Wow. On the Is it the, to treat the same, the same injury? The same leg. And to, to address that, that was you were saying there was a un- unidentified part of tissue, a piece of tissue that was not healing. Yep. And they had to fill it with some artificial tissue with that it's made out of silicone and some shark product. So now I'm waiting that to heal. Yeah. So now I'm waiting that to heal and they they will cover it with my skin, which is called skin graft. Yeah, skin graft. Oh, and that's the last surgery. Mm -hmm. Is this the skin graft to cover the artificial tissue? Yep. If it goes well. Yeah, if it takes. Yeah. So there's always the unknown of you might think it's one, but might be two to three, so who knows? How Oh, sorry. No, go for it. I was just going to say, when you're on the burn unit, how much do these doctors know about lightning strikes and treating lightning strikes? And how much do you learn from them, like, in those initial days? Because I'm sure you were curious. Yeah, I was really curious. Like, at first, um, I honestly didn't know anything about it. Um what can happen to you or what's the chance of surviving or uh, what are the consequences? Like I, I'm still learning every day of what wrong can happen. Uh, and then I feel more and more lucky of what it didn't happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they're really knowledgeable about lightning strikes. They treated patients like that. I'm one of the worst patients that they've, the, the the surgeon I've had, had treated and he he has been there for twelve years I think. Wow. Um, and part of it it's when you get as severe as mine injuries you might not survive. Wow. Which makes it even a lot harder to handle. What do you mean? Um, I mean it, it means like you're more and more lucky and. <laughs> But, uh, yes, those people are really good at it because lightning strike, it's such a high voltage that it's a kind of resembles a injury that you can get in an industrial electrical like yeah. environment, which it's way higher voltage than what you get in your house. Right. Like, by thousands. And like uh, 50,000 degrees Fahrenheit, I read today. A lightning strike is, which is hotter than the surface of the sun. I don't. This is what I. I, <laughs> I was, don't know. I was just studying a bit about it. Just, I mean, it's for a split second, but. Yeah. That's fucking crazy. It is. And you made it. Where's yeah? Where's your so? Where's your head been? Kind of these last. Because your perspective obviously. Shifted. It is and, like I. I don't feel like I'll be the same in some terms because, um, yeah, I think like I'm a lot more conscious and present all the time. Yeah. Um, I know I don't, I don't feel sad or I don't feel any anger or anything like that of what happened to me. Um, that kind of sucks because it's something that doesn't happen that often. And, yeah. Um, but also surviving doesn't happen that often. So. I feel really lucky and I just take it day by day, just as I said, like being very present and focusing on mm-hmm. what I have to do rather than what it was or yeah. why did it happen or then like what it used to be prior to that accident. Like 
I'm very, very consciously aware that life, it's not going to be the same as before. Yeah. Due to some physical constraints that might happen to the body that climbing won't be the same. If I climb again, I'll be super happy. I'm very mm -hmm. motivated to go back. Yeah. Um, but I also know that it might not happen. Yeah. I want it to happen. And I don't want to think that it might not happen, but I'll do everything possible to make it happen. One thing, one thing that really stuck out to me when I went to visit you was the nurse was like, wow, like Minko has so many friends coming to hang out. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's a big gift. Like a lot of people came to visit me when I was there. Like multi some people came like as much as five times mm -hmm. and it, it was great. I, I think the support of the community, it's really good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that was really cool to see that the community did kind of, you know, support you. And because I think you were also a big part of the community is part of why. And that's when you learn who your friends are and <laughs> who your friends pretended to be. It's not who came, it's your friend and who didn't, it's not. But the way people approach it and I think you learn who your true friends are in tough times and that that was a good test uh, I'm not mad at anybody but you wanna you wanna name some people <laughs> yeah let's take the list no, no it, it, it was a kind of like a mind opening of people that you might not see being that close to you but they were and uh, it, it, it to me personally it was a good experience of seeing the people around me and how they react. Yeah, how humbling, like you said before. And I mean, you're going through like two forms of recovery, right? You're going through physical recovery, but those people who come to visit you are helping like your mental recovery, yep. which is equally important. Yeah, yeah. It was, like, it was very engaging just to see your friends and help you get through the day. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I had friends coming every single day. I don't hit a single day without anybody not coming. Oh, so dude. They, yeah. Somebody will always come. Like, even like when my parents were coming, uh, they were coming late, like after 1030, because there were always people before that, and they were always helping me to go to bed. Yeah. So, I, yeah, it was nice. Like a lot, a lot of people came in. Uh, it's a testament to what you mean to the community. I mean, truly. Yeah. You don't have to say anything. No, no. <laughs> I'm just saying that's that's yeah, like no, that's yeah. really nice. It's yeah, it was like even like even better because it wasn't just the climbers, it wasn't my friends, but it was also my coworkers. Yeah, like oh, um, nice. It, it was they, they actually supported me like extremely and. Um, Every time, like, they hit three times from work, like, a bunch of them came in. So it was pretty nice to see, like, all aspects of your life just coming together. It wasn't just the climbing. That's one part of it. Yeah. Uh, and proportionally, like, as people came from different groups, you can see where you put the most time in your life and no. what you care about. That's so, a really good point. So work was a big aspect of those visits as well. Oh, my God. That's so interesting. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. your workplace, they're like, oh, Minko called sick. And someone's like, oh, you get struck by lightning. Like, yes, yes, he did. Yeah, he, he did. And and to be honest, like everything comes back to you of how much and what do you care about. Mm -hmm. um, and it's good to see that return back to you. Yeah.
Wow. That was the most intense story I've heard in two years. (laughs) I mean, oh my God. I don't know if I could present it vividly as it happens. Like that was incredibly vivid. What's crazy to me is the the moment the lightning strike to about twenty five days after and when you were released, it feels like that was one continuous like moment almost. You know, right? Because there's constantly something continuing off of what just happened previously. So that must have just been a fucking roller coaster, man. I'm surprised you can remember so well too, because a lot of people get I don't know what they call it, like um, ICU fog or. I don't know if they talk to you about that where you're like you were talking about, you're awake every four hours. Somebody's poking you. Somebody's checking your vitals. They're waking you up. You okay. Painkillers. Exactly. I'm surprised a lot of people lose dimensionality and time. And it sounds like you had like, you have such like a lucid memory of every single step that you took along your path. That's, (laughs) it feels rare to me. Yeah, I, I remember absolutely everything. Like, I, I actually remember the moment from when I was laying on the trail after the like the first thirty to forty minutes a lot more vividly even afterwards. Like, if my mind start going back to remembering of exactly what happens, like I start remembering, and if I wanted to go back to that accident, like a lot more details than initially I was thinking of. That's crazy. Are you thankful that you can't remember the actual strike? I don't know. Like, I think, I think eventually it will come back. You do. I I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Is that scary to think about? It's, I feel like it's so jarring. You can't even comprehend it. I don't know. Like, (laughs) you're right. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I don't know what it is or kind of wondering because it's all over now, but can't do anything about it but i don't know if i will ever remember it or if it will come back at one point i i know that you gave like a really heartfelt message to the rangers that came and responded to you and also i think the the medical profession those people who helped you i was wondering did you um by chance ever connect with the two people who saw it happen so one of them i did um Actually, the girl left me a message. She found me who I was on Facebook right away, and she left me a message that I didn't read until I came home. Whoa. So she was like, she just wondered how I was doing, and um, I can find the guy if I want to. He gave the first interview about me on Fox 31, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I, I couldn't talk during that time, and... Um, he was part of the initial interview of him finding me and yeah. helping me and supporting me. But yeah, it would be nice to connect with everyone at yeah. one point. Yeah. Just I mean, to see their perspective. Yeah. Like, did they actually see you get struck? Like they did not. Okay. They ah, were, so no one have seen me getting struck. That would have been crazy. Well, that would have just been fucking awful. Yeah. That would for yeah. whoever saw that. Does anybody know how long that, you were unconscious for as well? I'm trying to do the math, but it's less than three minutes. Cause that, okay. uh, and even less cause like from the spot um, where I have memories through where I fail, it's probably no more than a minute. And from the lightning strikes falling on me, 
to the people reaching me. It's, and, and that's how I'm doing the math. So it's no more than three minutes of being unconscious. But when they found me, I was smoking even more. Um, Honestly, like when you said sm you were smoking, that's just like, oh my gosh. I, I, I can't comprehend it. It's uh, impossible for me to comprehend what that, what you must have felt like. I mean, you're in a state of shock, of course, but looking down at your leg and thinking, what in God's <laughs> name just happened? Why is my leg smoking and why, why can't I move my arm? Yeah, I, I actually think like the the scariest thing coming over and over was grabbing my freezing hand and just lifting yeah. it and releasing it and just falling lifelessly back on me and like that, there was no feeling that that arm was mine was like a kind of like crazy i mean yeah you're already so disoriented you're just like am i fucking dreaming right now like i wish i was <laughs> yeah and those thoughts of like, there's a chance I'm going to lose everything. Maybe they're going to take my arm. Maybe they're going to take my leg. Like initially, like right away. Yeah. That's terrifying. But you're so fit and like we're lucid. You just like pulled through it in an amazing way. Well, it's, it's impressive to me how you kept yourself collected through that whole ordeal you know like you were like very analytical like okay my arm is not working my leg is smoking this is odd oh. i mean that's what happens to survivors like that's what you are now i am yes you're like you survived because you took care of yourself and thank god the rangers were those yeah. people were there and the rangers were so fast that's another crazy thing about that story 30 minutes you were down yeah, I, and that's I, insane. And I mean, it takes so mu so long for them to come to me, and it, it was less than forty minutes that they made it, and it, it's great. I mean, the park has always been a sacred place for climbers, for really good bouldering, and a bunch of climbers go there. And mm -hmm. I think it's always this um, viewpoint of rangers being the bad guys, and. Oh. You cannot find the parking spot because of the more like, oh, yeah, they find the crash pads and bring them down. And um, yeah, there it's always beef, I feel, with them. But when things happen, like they're the ones to carry it down. They're, <laughs> yeah. they're the ones to save your life. So they should be like your best friend. That's how we should treat them. And you should always be uh, thankful and respectful that they're there. Because, um, yeah, I did see what what they do for people and yeah it, without them it's they saved your life yeah i mean you, you cannot call a buddy to bring it down at no. that point like it, it's very well organized system that they work in and it's really helpful and thankful I, i'm very thankful for what they did to me man unbelievable i'm blown away yeah Thanks for sharing that story, man. I mean, yeah, dude. I think, yeah, that's, it, I mean, it, it's easy to joke about it and just say like, yeah, you just don't, you not, it doesn't happen very often at all. I mean, there are key points that I, I think people should yeah, take away and like be respectful to the rangers. Like don't go climbing by yourself, even though no one wants to come to your project, you know? <laughs> Um, 
it's really important that you go yeah. with someone because that can be the difference between life and death. Yes. Um, it's something simple. You never think about it. Uh, I had a really bad luck to get strike in a day that wasn't the largest storm you can ever imagine. Like within that storm, I think there was only one lightning strike and that's yeah. the one that got me. So you never know. And I was below tree line. I know. I feel like I remember hearing about someone who was around that area that day and they, I mean, people saw the one lightning bolt, yep. I think that day that hit you, which is also weird. Also weird. About. I always thought you're safe when you're in the yeah. forest and you yeah. will never get struck. And mm -hmm. Yeah, and you weren't the highest person. Like you, there, you said there were people above, me. above you. Um, yeah, no, that's that's good to know. I mean, the fact that you're not necessarily safe in the trees. I think every single stereotype has been blown away by me. and it, Everything that I thought, like, it's safe, it's not. Mm. It's fucking nature, man. Yeah. It's not safe. I mean, less safe, <laughs> less safe than you can imagine. That than stereotypes yeah. will have you believe, right? No, and I mean, that that's something that I love. Like, it's not the, the lightning strike. It's not going to prevent me from me going back there or be scared to death. But I would definitely approach it with a different mindset and be a lot more conscious about it. Do you look forward to heading back there? Oh, yeah. Where it happened? I knew you were going to say that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the look on your face. I want to go back to where the accident happened before the oh, year God. end. Yes. Um, but my current foot condition will put me back into maybe eight more weeks of not being able to wear a shoe. Yeah. And at that point, we'll be too late. Hey, yeah, that's a Jesus. We're almost done with 2019. Sp spring thaw. <sighs> yeah, I, I'm definitely going back. Like, I really, really wanted and dream of me going back to see hey, where man. I was and where I I think been. with this rate of recovery and you're working hard at it, man, like, I think I'm looking forward to seeing a recovered Minko very soon. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's easy for people to say on the outside, they're like, oh, you're going to recover, no problem because we don't know shit but with your mindset that you're working with right now i see good things in your future like truly truly it's man i, don't, I think somebody with a weaker mindset wouldn't be where you are right now i don't know <laughs> yeah. maybe they can tough up yeah well that's true too I mean, like, you don't know, like an accident like that can make you really conscious, cautious, or it can make you like really brave. You, you never know. Yeah. You never know. But um, definitely it mind blowing to me of how fragile life is and how quickly bad things can happen yes. to you within seconds. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, maybe I will enjoy life even more than before. Near death experience, man. Yeah. I mean. And definitely you can respect climbing more. Like I had pulley injuries. I dislocated my knee one time and I thought that's really bad, but <laughs> what's now? It's <laughs> like, <laughs> Hey guys, turns out getting struck by lightning is a little bit worse than it's, that. It's a lot worse. Uh, yeah. The things that I have to deal with are yeah, man. kind I of mean, like a complex math problems. That... Well, yeah. Like you were saying, burns are not, straightforward injuries they require a lot of attention that that whole cleaning process you had to go through every day and now even i'm sure you have to make sure to clean your burns on your own now right yeah and 
that's that sounds hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm speechless. I'm speechless, dude. I'm so happy you made it, and it, I'm so happy you're on the road to recovery. What an ordeal. I, I'm not going to say anymore. Dave's done. <laughs> Dave's putting that. I'm, I'm done. That's yeah, man. I mean, I think that's a, that's a good stopping point, maybe. Yeah. I, don't know. I feel. Yeah, thanks, Miko. Thanks, Dave. It, we have to say thanks on the mic. Yeah. You put the mics down, <laughs> and then I'll really say thanks. <laughs> Thank you, Dave and Philly. Dude, thanks for coming on. I know we weren't the first first interview you've done but at least we're like the fourth or fifth i, I actually think that's the best one because it yeah. has the most time yeah hey, and yeah. we're not going to call you thornton man oh, I, did, you. Oh. I did see some of your interviews on um channel nine maybe or i don't remember it's like oh my god when you were still in the hospital yeah the, i actually that was like an hour long interview and the Holy guy shit. framed oh. it into like minute and a half we, I promise we, we won't do that. Yeah, <laughs> 10 seconds. 10 seconds. Yeah, we'll boil this down to hey a guys, here's tidy 30 seconds. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for that. Okay, here's a stat for you. Go hit it. In Colorado, on a yearly basis, only 15 people are struck by lightning every year three lethally three people die a year on average Christ. and 12 people are injured by lightning strikes in colorado that's honestly way higher than i thought it's a lot i always <laughs> thought it was extremely rare i mean i mean i guess that's still really rare that's pretty rare <laughs> it's like three people to, and injuries who knows what i'm sure they run the gamut of yeah just it, like getting a little bit burnt and then of course the severe consequences yeah. that minko suffered i i gotta be honest I, I, it seems to me like minko got about as close to the line as you could get in terms of getting injured oh my god uh without without anything without any neurological mm-hmm. damage too that's the most astounding part to me is that he, he's totally there in the head you know like literally yeah. nothing well, is wrong when i was visiting him in the hospital we were doing some arts and crafts it was dope but one of the nurses <laughs> one of the nurses uh asked him like what happened he's like i got struck by lightning and she's like wow uh you know i knew a guy who he was he was working on his car the car got struck by lightning and then it passed through that and like hit him and he was in a coma for like three months whoa never fully relearned how to or like lost lost uh, control of like one of his legs, I think. Oh my god! So like, was I don't know. Like, ugh. it's crazy. Use your words. I my words are failing me. <laughs> my words failed me at the end of the episode too, yeah. man. That was just, it's just, crazy. just too intense to even imagine what the crazy thing too. Yeah. Just one more thing about Minko's story on my end is that when he got hit and he kind of came to yes and you know he's like smoking and he can't move one arm can't move one leg and his first thought was i have been shot yeah <laughs> well he's like, can you imagine like just have i been shot i mean because you, you don't even think it's an option like oh i actually got struck by lightning no like it's, you'd think it's yeah Maybe if you saw lightning like crashing everywhere before that moment, you'd think, oh God, maybe one of those hit me. But there was no lightning. No. 
either before that or after that. And I think he made a good point of being like, yeah, I thought I was good. Like I was below trees, you know, people had hiked past me. I didn't even think it was possible. So good fucking reminder of how scary nature can be, man. Yeah. How humans really are never in control when in nature, you know, a lot of climbers, at least rock climbers forget but man alpinists and kayakers and people who are in water they always know that things can go wrong in a yes. fucking yeah, split they're... second that they have nothing to do with whereas rock climbers most of the time boulders sport climbers yeah. trad climbers hold their rocks. hold their fate in their hand yes yeah rocks don't do that much usually. no but water <laughs> and you know the, weather yes and snow these things can just take control i think the b- most important lesson if if there's if you need to get out <laughs> and climb we're all addicted to this fucking bizarre sport and you think weather's coming in just go with a partner holy cow yeah that's minko, like that's important. a big part of that story is minko likely only survived because that dude people found him like very fast that fucking Fuck. pocket of cell service miraculous that's amazing miraculous i i think i want i do want to give a shout out to the i don't know i think the climbing community when because when minko got struck was in the hospital and when i went to visit him all the nurses were like holy crap like so popular so popular like <laughs> i mean every according to minko even like you know he was seeing people every day multiple people a day yeah. so that's pretty cool to hear and i mean i i've i know minko before this and but i wouldn't say we were like particularly close we were friendly and so it was i don't know you know you want to support your <laughs> fellow climber uh, as big <laughs> as climbing is becoming i mean it's still a pretty tight-knit tribe you know what i mean yeah when one client especially core climbers yeah. right core climbers are, are a pretty tight tribe and hopefully we're looking out for each other and that uh, minko's experience in the hospital was a good example of like you find out who your friends are and you also find out that holy shit you got a lot of them yeah a lot of people that are in your corner for sure. thanks to climbing you know what i mean yeah thanks to just rock climbing all right what an episode should we take care of some housekeeping House cleaning, house warming. We could have a house warming party. Oh, man. Everyone's invited. You guys, it's going to be so much fun. Please, 35 South Clarkson Street. Really? Dude, he's, you've given out your phone number and now your address. Yeah. Just don't. All right. You know where he lives. Don't kill 35 me. South Clarkson Street. Just don't kill me. Yeah, don't kill him. Um, anyway, so if you guys want to get a hold of us, as always, uh, thunderclingpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear your feedback uh, from the music video, from uh, an interview with somebody that maybe a lot of you guys don't know. Do you like that? Do you want us to do more yeah. uh, regular people with amazing story? Well, fucking V13 Climber with a regular story. <laughs> with a crazy story. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you can always check us out at Instagram at the Thunder Thundercling. Thundercling. Anything else? Should we talk about one final thing? If you don't want to listen to this, that's fine. You can turn it off. Thanks for listening. But we're going to talk a little bit about behind the scenes stuff at Thundercling Podcast. So, oh, oh yeah. Oh, what we're are gonna, we going to talk about we're today? We're going to fucking pull back the curtain a little bit, uh, Feedy. We're going to maybe you're in your no, skivvies. Some news to me. 
That, your Gonna Greek tra- accent is perfect. Thank you. <laughs> Two weeks in Greece, I learned to talk like this. Oh, it sounds great. It's weird that, you know, you, you would think that they would sound different, but that's how they sound. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everything that goes against everything I've been taught uh-huh. and know about yeah. Greece, but you've been there. I have not been I, there. I, I, yes, please. You're an expert now. <laughs> please yield to my knowledge. Thank uh, you. <laughs> All right. You know, when we say we're going to do something, we fucking can never get to it. <laughs> we're, we always get sidetracked with our idiocy. But we're going to, okay, focus. You focus? I feel good. Dave. Here it, it comes. See, here it comes. It. Another sidetrack. I was, I was I, exactly. <laughs> oh my God. Those people who turned off already, good for them. Anyway, uh, at the podcast, we uh, don't make any money off this podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's fine. But we also work pretty hard to bring you guys interesting uh, interviews and uh, music. So, you know, interesting maybe isn't the moniker for the music. <laughs> <laughs> what, excellent. I, excellent? Mm-hmm. I, I, we were bringing you uh, a birdie. If it was in golf, it's a birdie or a hole in one every time. <laughs> Get your with our music. golf talk out of here, Sorry. man. Um, and, you know, we're trying to do more multimedia stuff with the music video. We have many more of those things planned. So we are thinking of starting something called a Patreon page. And if you aren't familiar with Patreon, it is um, an outlet for artists to receive income for people who think, who see value in what they create. It's a people, it's, yeah, it's essentially a, uh, if you like something, you know, support it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And uh, kind of choose, choose what you want to pay, but yeah it's tough it's really awkward (laughs) it's super awkward to talk about we're thinking about it you know it'd be like a one dollar tier three dollar tier a five dollar tier you get you know t-shirts and we're gonna start um it would be a patreon only blog that we'd start some behind the scene video footage potentially even a rare once a month podcast yeah a podcast for a secret podcast for patreon only listeners this is something we're batting around um and if you don't want to if you're not interested, that doesn't make any too. difference. It doesn't make a difference. It's yeah, just, you if, don't have to. Yeah. You know, if you want to throw, if you want to buy Dave and I a coffee, <laughs> what it would really do, <laughs> hopefully is allow us a little bit more time to create art and not only in the, co- like the Rocky mountain area. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we could get out to the Red Rock Rendezvous or a Craig mm-hmm. and Classic somewhere and go there and interview people instead of having to do it in Denver Sky. because we're not fucking rich. We can't afford to drive all over the... Like Boone Speed. It would have been amazing yeah. to interview him at his house. We can't do that. Or meet him somewhere in the middle on a road trip. We can't do that. So this is something that we're batting around. Um, but most importantly, we'd like to hear back from you guys. Is this something that anybody... You know what? Let's fucking not do it. No, 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 no. Are you sure? Yeah, it's good, I think. Okay, cut that out. Um, I forgot where I was. You were saying if we'd like to hear back about you. Oh, yeah. If- so we'd like to hear back from you guys if this is something that you'd be on board for maybe supporting or mm-hmm. you'd never do it. What the the final The final thing about this, the final point is that no matter what happens, we're going to keep making the podcast. 
Correct. Um, but <laughs> spending that five weeks doing that, <laughs> doing that fucking video, like I got off work early sometimes. I didn't work on the week. It, you know, it'd be nice to have a little bit more of a cushion and the ability to make more of that stuff. Yeah. Um, if you guys see value in it. And if Correct. you don't, that's fine too. We won't like start it. it's the a Patreon. People, it's, a, it's the people decide. Yeah, exactly. There will never be a paywall for Thunderclick. No. no matter what. No matter it's... It, it, we'll quit this podcast before that would ever happen. Mm-hmm. But we don't have any plans to do that. But yeah, if, if there's a value in our product to you, we wonder if you'd be willing to throw in a shekel once a month, like a dollar a month or three dollars a month or five dollars a month just to help us keep our equipment on board get us some more travel and maybe a little bit more time to start shooting funny videos and stupid bizarre (laughs) bullshit that me and feedy like and maybe like 14 percent of you guys like yes so get back to us please uh shoot us an email at thunderclingpodcast at gmail.com or interact with us on uh, im us on dm us what is it, DM, DM. or IM? Instagram's DM. Yeah. Slide into our DMs on the Instas. Um, yeah. I love it when I randomly get a text from someone. Oh, it's great. We got so. a bunch about the video, and it was awesome. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. Um, but give us some feedback, because this is about a partnership between you and us, is what it would end up being. And if there's no enthusiasm for it, we won't fucking start a Patreon page, because that would be humiliating. <laughs> but if there is a little hey guys, interest, uh... we will... And hopefully it'll open, broaden the horizons of this podcast a bit more, allow mm-hmm. us to have some more writing, uh, some more video work, yeah. some more music stuff. We'll see where it goes, dude. Fucking have a podcast on the moon if we get enough money. Maybe Elon Musk. Will. Oh my God, he come on. It could happen. He could come on. He, he could, could come t- on the podcast. He could talk about space, space. <laughs> and joints. Dude, what if we FAs on Mars, bro? Dude, Mount Olympus. That's it. That's it. That's the end of the podcast. <laughs> I have a fucking dream about climbing on Mars. If you guys want to climb on Mars, give us some money. Because we're going there. Patreon style. Thundercling. Out ski. Stop doing that, <laughs> Feedy. This is a this is a Halloween song done in a southern accent, and it we uh, fucking put Play a little a song. Sa- we put a little sauce yeah, on the accent. Put the song on it. Yeah, this is the Halloween put song. Put the song on the record. Y'all know who Alistair Crowley is? He's that some bitch part of no coat, and he also was a mountaineer. I used to climb a bit. Around 1903, I noted the Bruzy Ridge atop that K2 peak. Then I became a magical, beastly dude. I dined on human feces and had sex with prostitutes. That's true. I was Alistair Crowley in a former life. Left my partners in an avalanche And that is where they died Old Yahweh, he punished me And shackled me to this fort And 
Now I wander through these crags Spraying down you dorks I will provide the bait that you crave You drop me could a new day after day Oh, the beta ghost will haunt you Passively, aggressively with spray Now because I was the beast Number six, six, six I have the power of possession That is some fucking scary shit I inhabit the body of a shredded bouldering dude And I amble up to ladies To mansplain with an attitude Say my name three times And I will come alive Beta ghost, beta ghost Fade a ghost and I'll arrive to fuck up your session Aggravate your lives, bitch This is my hobby And I got an eternity of time I will provide the beta that you crave The drop nick in a new day after day Oh, the beta ghost will haunt you Passively, aggressively with spray Now don't you give me no guff Don't want to man, but I can get rough Ow, is on your chalk bag and tie your knot I'll cackle from the shadows when you ask for a spot Accept my spray cause it's perfect and true I might be a narcissist but I climb harder than you Fuck you Fuck you Fuck you No, Feedy, I really mean it Fuck you But you can't run And you can't hide Jump on the spray boat Let's take a spooky ride What's the problem with the ghost And offering advice Well I It's pretty terrifying probably To your stupid eyes I will provide the bait of that you crave The drop me you could a new day after day Oh, a bait of ghosts will haunt you Passively, aggressively with spray Come on! Oh, the bait of ghosts will haunt you Passively Aggressively with That's it, man. That's a, a fucking haunted Halloween story with Aleister Crowley in a hey, southern accent, even you, though he ain't one from the south. Did you mean it when you said fuck you? Fuck. No, I meant it to... Uh, well, I sure did. I meant fuck you and fuck everybody, bud. I'm fucking Aleister Crowley's spray ghost, and I'll throw beta right up your butthole. I thought... No, that's you fucking shut up. Fuck I, you. 
This is Aleister Crowley's no. time. It's Halloween. When, we're going to get after some spooky shits. I, don't spray bait up my ass. Man, I'll stick it up your ass and pull it out your mouth, you stone bitch. This is Aleister Crowley's time. He ate feces and banged prostitutes. I don't man. know who Aleister Crowley Aleister is. Aleister Crowley was a mountaineer, man, but he went so psycho, he fucking lost his career, and then he became a magical occultist. Mm. It's a real good Halloween story. I reckon we ought to end this shit because I can't talk like this all night. I can't barely talk at all. I don't really like talking any use. Why don't you hit that button, goddammit? Uh, uh, Margaret, hit that button! Oh, shit. <laughs>